When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Season this has become. When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15 point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. It's Vegas time, baby. The Ducks are heading to Vegas to take on the Washington Huskies in the final Pac-12 championship football game of all time. Ducks, Huskies, playoffs on the line, Pac-12 title on the line, Heisman on the line for one of the quarterbacks in this game anyway. QB, we are here. The QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. You're QB11. I'm Doug Scott. QB, are you ready? I'm Doug Scott. You're QB11, and I'm ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I can't wait. Like this is We've been waiting for this rematch for six weeks, and obviously the Ducks had to take care of business. So did the Huskies. Um, since their first meetup, but I've just been every week that's gone by. I've just been bring me one, one week closer to this game with all these stakes on the line. Like, let's go, baby. I I'm getting on a plane in 22 hours and I can't wait. Wait, you're going. Yeah, I'm going. Oh, I didn't know that. You'd never expressed to me that you were going. Don't act like I should be surprised for <laughs> Now I know you're lying. Doug only talks to me when we're live. Audience, QB. Doug only talks to you when we're live on air. He he doesn't actually like ever interact with me outside of this. I barely have time to associate with you, QB. Yeah, he just uses me and then abuses me. (laughs) No, I'm really excited for you. uh, You know what? Before we get into this, I want to thank our listeners. That the years come into a close, and Spotify puts out a lot of stats for the year. Um. So a little bit of shout out. I'm going to quote a couple things here. Actually, our number one most listened to episode, not only of the year, but of all time, was the uh, the, the preview episode of the first Washington game back in uh, on October 12th. So thank you all for tuning in to that. Um, we've been doing this now for about a year and a half, QB. We started in May of 2022, and uh, we've doubled our listenership over the course of this year. So that's great. Thank you to all of you who found us and, and continue to listen to us. Um, 7% of all of our new listeners this year came to us through a single episode, QB. Which one do you think that is? Uh, Hitful Day? No, but it's a good guess. Uh, those are always popular. No, it was the, the episode where we discussed Oregon officially joining the Big Ten Conference. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, yeah. 7% of all our listeners, that was their first episode. That's kind of cool. Well, to that seven cool. percent, welcome. I've also like, <laughs> excuse me, I'm still getting over a little bit of a cough here. Um, I've really enjoyed getting the messages, like DMs from people today, sharing uh, where we rank on their Spotify stuff. As somebody who doesn't yeah. use Spotify myself, I feel kind of left out of this whole little fun thing that everyone's got going on with their yearly recap. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really, I. I it's the season for uh, gratitude, right? With Thanksgiving being just behind us. And um, I'm, I'm really thankful for you, Doug. Um, and I know you put substantially more hard work and energy into this. than I do. Um, and this, none of this wouldn't 
like happen quite frankly if it was not for you uh and i'm super grateful to all the people who listen um engage with us whether it's on twitter on the message boards uh, people who reach out via dm even people that are more like lurkers on the board and stuff that that just enjoy the content um when we started this i never imagined that it would get even close to this size and it seems to be continually growing so um just once again thank you guys Uh, we love all the messages we um, really appreciate all the feedback i know uh We've got a, a crew of audio engineers on Scoop Duck constantly giving Duck coaching <laughs> in the uh, in in the in the thread on the on the podcast. So, um, yeah, no, it's been it's been a really fun run. Um, I think that we're in for probably the most exciting um, and eventful three months of Oregon football. Uh, really, probably next two months of Oregon football of all time, and uh, I, I can't wait to to talk about it with you um and and roll through this well a few more a few more of these things before we get into it but but all of that's well said but you mentioned the people it's really cool you go over to the qb11 show twitter um twitter page and please go follow that at qb11 show and people have been adding us with like oh here's my stats i'm in your top three percent of listeners i'm in top six percent and and what i just came across one he's like i enjoyed every one of the five thousand five hundred and ninety minutes i spent with you in 2023 when when you see that number that's like kind of eye-opening you know it's kind of i don't know about you could be but occasionally i run into people who have listened to me and it's very weird it's very weird to, oh you're the guy who has that podcast oh yeah i was just listening to you on the way to work today and it's like okay it's a little weird but it's humbling uh, but 5590 minutes that is one percent of his entire year of all the minutes in a year he's he's listened to us for one percent of that that's that's incredible. It's humbling. And I appreciate that, Brandon Betts. Um, Brandon, I think you need that. to go outside and touch grass, brother. I don't think that <laughs> we're, we're worth that much of your time. <laughs> he, he loves he loves he loves QB Love and Show. Um, the, the, our most shared the most shared episode, so the ones that listeners shared out to others was that Hithel Day episode in October where we broke down the first half of the season and, and Hithel Day was DMing us today, begging to get back on the show. So I'm sort of kidding, but he was asking when he's coming back on. So that's going to happen real soon. Um, so love all that. Our, our average uh, listener rating is 4.9. So, you know, most of you love us at a five. We've got a couple of, of people who apparently think we're only worth a four, but you know what? 4.9 is an incredible number. And thank you all for that. Um, our, we had 290% growth in, in streams this year. We had 110% growth in followers. 1400 people are we're in the top 10 podcast for 1400 people which is just very incredible we're in the top five for 1200 people and we're the number one podcast for 521 people the, the number one podcast in their entire library like that's that's awesome so thank you all for that i really appreciate it and i know yeah that's does. incredible um i didn't know any of that so <clears throat> we're rolling baby uh, yeah we so are let's get into it let's get into this game um We'll talk a, bit, a little bit about all all of the Power Five conference title games here, but we're going to obviously start with the big one in Vegas. Oregon is a nine and a half point favorite, which I know a lot of people are shocked by, particularly up in in Seattle. Um, I, I, most of the it, it's interesting, Kibi. I've noticed this. I'm going to sidestep here a little bit. I, I've noticed that you have a real you kind of have two groups of national college football pundits if you will uh, you have the the tv groups right the the people who the reese davises and the kirk curb streets and the joel Klatz and and the, the people who are on tv you know either calling games or, or hosting the the pregame shows and then you have the podcast group you know the the, the cover three guys the and joel Klatt obviously does a podcast too right you've got the the Andy Staples, you've got Ari Wasserman from the Athletic. You've you know you've got the the Audible from the Athletic. You got all the national guys, the split zone duo. I mean, I'm, I'm missing some. I apologize. Um, you know the the Yahoo group with Wetzel and Ross Dellinger and those guys. And it's so interesting because you see, like I'm seeing as these college football playoff rankings come out, and as these lines come out, and as you see teams kind of ranked, whether they be by the polls or the playoff committee or by you know the JP poll or other analytics based metrics, right? Like it's almost like there's a clear divide when, and all of the podcast guys are all 
like they live and eat and breathe and sleep this. They're like us, right? Like they're looking at this stuff every day, all day. Like that's their life. Right. And they understand when they see a line like Oregon favored by nine and a half or Oregon being number two in in advance, you know, in in one of the different models and F plus or FEI or SP plus or the JP poll or something. Right. They're not surprised by that. They're not shocked by that because they live, eat, breathe, sleep this stuff every day. And then you see the national, the, the TV guys who roll into the studio and read the teleprompter and, you know, post a couple tweets every week and like they go on the air and they're just like, Holy cow, how the heck is Oregon rated so high? I don't understand it. Why are they a favorite? Why are they, why are they not behind Texas and Alabama? And it's, do you, do you sense that same kind of divide that I see? I mean, yeah, but I don't really give any attention or time to the TV broadcast group. Like that's just not like, that's never to me. They're like AM talk radio. Like I, I don't, why would I care what Dirt and Sprague or any of these guys in the more like no disrespect, like if any of those guys listen to the show, I probably shouldn't say that. But like I I just like the that group of people talk about all sports at college and NFL level for the most part, right? And so how are they going to be as dialed in? Like I know this as somebody I don't do this for a job. Now maybe if I did this for a job it'd be different, but like my ability to follow and have intelligent conversations about the NFL has basically gone away with us having this podcast. Like I, I spend all of my free time that I that away from you. Yeah. Thanks Doug. You've ruined my life. Um, I, I spend all of my free time that is, that can be spent on football on college football because if I'm going to do this and I'm going to sit here and talk about it and I'm going to have to get shit for every dumb or wrong thing I say, like I'm at least going to put a substantial amount of time and energy into researching my, my point, watching film and trying to not sound like a complete moron who doesn't do any research. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, like if your job is to talk about sports all day, every day, and you have to cover the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, college football, uh, college basketball, hot and the NHL, like there's, there's just no way that you're going to have the bandwidth to go as in depth on one or the other. Um, and I, I think that most of these people specialize in professional sports because that's where like most of the money is um, and the viewership. So, yeah, long way of saying like no, I don't. I don't really give a lot of energy to that crew because that's not the crew that I think adds a lot of value to my day. Like I'll listen, like uh, uh, we'll listen. I listen to the Cover Three podcast every episode. I love those guys. Um, I talk and and I uh, I'll listen to Bet the Board uh, for their college football stuff because I think that they do a really good job for more of like a bookie slash. Um, uh, betting perspective um i'll occasionally listen to uh the what's the this is the audible with uh, bruce feldman yeah audible, but like yeah. Stuart mandel is basically a giant casual too so like i i don't really get a lot from listening to them other than bruce's insights from his relationships throughout the sport specifically around like coaching carousel season i think that podcast is a must listen um, yes and, and obviously, I love Pate's show, and um, there's some other good ones out there, and I'm, I'm probably omitting somebody. But my, the, the point being that, it, no, it doesn't surprise me that the people that actually know college football feel one way, and the people that follow it very casually see it another way. Yeah, yeah. It's just an interesting thing I've noticed over the season. I, 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 sh- I try – I shouldn't let it bother me, but then when I know that, like, Reese Davis is up there, like, with everyone, you know – like the, the unfortunate thing is that the the vast majority of the people are watching those shows and they're not listening to the other podcasts and the and the more I would say in depth knowledgeable people, right? And so Reese Davis is up there, you know, <laughs> like stumping for Texas and like you know shitting on Oregon left and right to the to the you know Boo Boo Corrington. It's just like it's so nauseating, right? And 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 ESPN's graphics are like let's cherry pick a couple of data points that really are. Two percent or one percent of the level of detail that the committee goes into, and throw those on the screen and get everyone outraged, because you know, which Dave Bartu actually posted this the other day, which is, is a very astute point. Is like 
strength of schedule is the most meaningless, worthless metric there is because it doesn't actually tell you at all about how a team actually performed against that schedule, right? Like you could be 0-12 and, and have a phenomenal state strength of schedule. Like what the hell does that mean? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's not – there's no – There's. it's not contextual, right? Like what are you supposed right. to pull from that? There's also like – 18,000 different versions of strength of schedule. So which one are you using and how do they actually calculate their strength of schedule? And some of them are, are pretty damn bad. And so, but again, I don't want to get into debating that because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, the committee will decide and those 13 people in the room will decide and all the pundits can yell and kick and scream and disagree, but whatever. Well, yeah. And I also think that like ESPN is not going to cater their coverage to someone like you or me, like to the average person that watches that show in ESPN, S and P plus or F plus or FEI are, that's like, it sounds like you're speaking a foreign language to that person. Yeah. And so there's like by them putting those, those power ratings or things like most of these people still don't understand what power ratings even are. So even people who actually, follow college football on a daily basis and watch and listen to some of the Josh Pate or some of these podcasts, the amount of like the amount of them that like you live this stuff every day and they don't, and you honestly, like, I, I think there's a, there was a percentage of them that actually do understand what a power rating is, but because they don't like what it says about their team, they'll shit on it. But I think there's actually a much larger percentage that literally don't understand the difference between a power rating and a resume ranking, which is what like a poll is. Right. Yes, yeah, it's and, comical. Yeah, and so I mean, again, um, everybody. Some, I mean, some people would look at the amount of time that you and I have to spend on this, and they'd be like, "My life does not allow for that." Um, and th- those are probably a lot of our listeners, right? Like people that listen to the show um, are from from the people that I've talked to, listen to our show. They're either people that really nerd out on the sport and love and love it, or they're people that don't have the time to aggregate all this information themselves. Uh, and so they come here to get it. And so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, shoot, like some of you guys have newly born kids or just married, starting new jobs. Maybe you work a job with crazy hours. Like there's a lot of reasons to not, but um, like it's quite frustrating to go back to your original point when it's people that are paid to talk about this professionally who do a really poor job of representing it. So, yeah. All right. Enough of that. Let's get to this game. All right, Oregon, Washington, nine and a half point favor in, in favor of the Ducks. Washington's twelve and zero. Oregon's eleven and one. QB, I, I, I firmly believe that the winner of this game is definitely in the playoffs. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I. <coughs> excuse me. I don't. I don't think there's any way that the winner of this game doesn't make the playoff at this point with with the way it's set up. Uh, I think that the the team that's going to need help would be Texas, and they need Florida State to lose. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, uh, so let's get into it. So, you know, obviously these teams played 36-33 back in uh, in mid-October. Uh, Camden Lewis missed a field goal at the end that would have tied it and sent it to overtime after, you know, some pretty exciting uh, last couple minutes there of drives in both directions. And uh, that's the way that one ended. And here we are. What's going to make – well, first of all, how do you see this game playing out? Do you see it playing out similar to that one, completely differently? What do you, what do you think? I, I, to me, like the biggest thing I've noticed is – and I think everyone's noticed is since that game, Oregon has absolutely been – a wrecking crew, right? And they've, they've rolled six straight teams. I mean, I, yeah, I know the final margin of the USC game looks close, but watch that game. It wasn't close. Uh, they have just rolled everyone in their path. And conversely, Washington has played six straight games that have gone, you know, deep into the fourth quarter, down to the final possession in many cases. And so it's kind of a tale of really like different second half of the seasons for these two teams. So, uh, you know, how do you see that playing out as we get back to this rematch? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of polarities between the first half of the season and the second half of the season for both teams. Um, going into the Washington-Oregon game, I don't think anyone would have argued that Bo Nix was playing better football than Michael Penix. When you look at no. the statistical breakdown of Michael Penix's first six games, the games leading up to that and the end that game, and then the six games subsequent, um, he's been a completely different player and not a positive trend. Right, like he's got he's gotten worse. He's turning the ball over more. His completion percentage has gone down substantially. Washington, like in most metrics as a passing game, has like fallen into the twenties. 
Um, like in like the, in a lot of the raw statistical measurements of a passing game, uh, their efficiency has has tanked. They're not as explosive as they were. Um, things have just not been clicking for them as a passing game in the six weeks since. Uh, and when you flip on Bo's tape, I, I would say that Bo is really taking his game to another level because I think that so far this season, that first Washington game was probably Nick's worst game of the season. Um, and, yes. and he's been playing way better than that since. Um, and so I think like the first thing that I want to, I want to make sure that we shine a light on is that these two quarterbacks have been trending in a very different direction. And I think that, um, again, like coming out of that game, Michael Penix was a minus money favorite to win the Heisman trophy. Now he's kind of not even really in it. Like he might get a, get a, an invite to, to, uh, New York to be like the third guy sitting there, but I think he will. This, I think he will. This is a, yeah. this is a two man race. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know that he could play his way back into it. I mean, even if he were to go off, I mean, we know how so many votes are cast ahead of this game. Unfortunately, um, I, I suppose it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could go off and, and get garner enough votes to, to win. But I, I think that's ex- even if he was to, to have that kind of game, I think it's extremely unlikely. I think it's it would be too late at this point with – I mean, you look at – you know, you talked about his first, second half stats. I mean, the splits by month, like November, there's four games in November. He's 58%, 7.2 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, um, and that's in four games, right? And he's basically averaging two touchdowns and half an interception a game over the last four games, throwing for 7.2 yards per attempt, which is and, – and 58%. Those are – those are below average numbers at the quarterback position in college. And that's what he's done for over the last four games combined. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that included the USC game, which he actually, like if you take that game out, the other three, ooh, and that's worse. not the, that's not the only negative trend line for Washington either. Like the, the defense has gotten progressively worse, both through in, injuries and just attrition over the course of the season. Um, and I think the one thing that I thought was a really good point, and I'm not going to take credit for this because it, it's not, it was not my original thought, um, but Payne, Payne on uh, Bet the Board mentioned this in regards to this game, is that uh, Oregon has been, been very clearly the more physical of these two teams throughout the season. Uh, but Washington, the, the advantage of, of playing off a of bye week, both teams played off a of bye week in the first time, definitely goes to the team that would, is less physical because they're able to get healthy, be have that week off prior, and then exert themselves to that extent mm. in that one game. Whereas now we're playing again where Washington will have, is playing on a short week, having played seven weeks in a row, right? So there is no week off to get healthy and get your legs back. Like it's time you have to go out and play with a much more physical Oregon team Basically, and, right and now. you're already a team that has much less depth than Oregon, right? I mean, we, we've talked about, it, and I, you know, all the Washington fans that we've talked to have all agreed with that since before the season even began. Is that that you know Washington doesn't have the depth of talent that Oregon does, and I, I don't think that's a controversial statement. But they're playing with they're playing they've been playing you know short two or three safeties the last month of the season. Dylan Johnson we saw in that Apple Cup game was severely limited by you know, a foot or ankle issue um, that I'm sure is still lingering. Penix has seemed, you know, potentially off as well. So I, yeah, I think you, you, that is a really good point that, that those guys bring up because um, yeah, everybody's banged up this time of year, but you know, your team like Oregon who rotates so many bodies through on defense, on the defensive line, particularly um, that, that benefits them versus uh you know a team like Washington is pretty beat up and Tule Tule's still not a hundred percent right he's playing but he can't you know I don't think his ankle's a hundred percent either. No, it, it I don't think it is either, and um, I'm I'm definitely not saying that to to uh, demean or discredit the Huskies, but it's it's it is a factor that I'll be interested to see play out this week. Really, this game comes down to a couple things to me. I, like I said, going into the, the first matchup. Um, well, first of all, Oregon was the better field team on the field that day. Uh, they had much much better per play efficiency numbers. Oregon got seventy percent of available yards offensively. Really, what it came down to was Oregon lost three plays. They lost the three fourth down plays, um, which statistically is an anomaly, right? Um, and and it, it was it was poor execution. I think there was some bad play calling in there, um, but those were uncharacteristic errors for an Oregon offense 
over the course of the season now that we have a larger sample size and it was a perfect storm of of uncharacteristic mistakes uh, and i don't think that washington is going to be so fortunate in this game as to have oregon blow two drives inside the five uh, and fail to convert a third and one into a first down that would end the game um so it, it, i think the other thing i would add is is to that is that oregon lost like three or four like critical plays on the other side of the ball as well right i mean yeah, jack westover converting that fourth well, that one didn't end up mattering because the interception happened a couple of plays later. But more so that, like, you know, Oregon didn't make Washington earn their touchdowns, right? They got it. Their first one was a 26-yarder, you know, wide-open post play. Their second touchdown was a was probably the one that was closest to that. They, they had a they, they were inside the ten there and they ran it in. But then their other two touchdowns were again kind of thrown throws over the top, right? 17 yards out on a throw. And then of course the last one, you know, they went, you know, went for, you know, an 18 yarder after a 35 yarder. Right. So like, you know, what you've seen other teams be able to do with Washington in the second half of the season is like make them execute inside the 20. Right. And I think that Oregon lost those three or four big plays and the big plays didn't just turn into a big game. They turned into a touchdown. And I think that's where those three plays plus the three on the other side. I mean, it's like Oregon went like over, <laughs> over six on those pivotal moments. Right. Yeah, and again, is is that characteristic of either of these teams after watching twelve games? Like, no. is Washington the team that always capitalizes, and is Oregon the team that always fails in those situations? Absolutely Certainly not. not over the last half of the season. Yeah, no, and then, and then when you look at more micro trends in the more recent history, it's even less of the case, right? And so we're still looking at a Washington defense that is way below water stopping the run. Um, they they are one of the more they're one of the worst tackling teams in the country um and they they really struggle um stop the run so they're gonna they're gonna stack bodies we're gonna see a lot of bare front in this game and the difference between this game and the last game in my opinion for oregon offensively is in the last game oregon was hesitant to push the ball deep and over the middle of the field i do not see that being a second thought for oregon in this game in a situation where washington is going to have to bring bodies up into the box uh, and sell out to stop the run so i'm looking for troy franklin i'm looking for tez johnson um it, to have big games here uh, and i'm looking for bo to have uh, a, a disproportionate or a large proportion more uh throws deep over the middle of the field than than there were uh in the first matchup so and that uh, and that's sorry go ahead I've said that's been an area that Washington has been susceptible to what you've seen teams have success throwing on them repeatedly, particularly in the middle of the field. Right. I mean, Stanford threw for 367 yards, Stanford, uh, USC, obviously we know what they did. Uh, you go to the Utah game, Utah and Bryson Barnes threw for 267 yards. Again, a lot of that, you know, over attacking the middle, uh, Oregon state, not so much in that game, which was in a, you know, torrential downpour, but you know, we saw Cam Ward throw for, like 360 yards last week in that game as well. So though the the passing the passing game against Washington is there and like you said in that first game for whatever reason Oregon's game plan was they I, it's hard to remember a single pass attempted between the hashes. I'm sure there were some or, you know or between the numbers. I'm sure there were some but it it was it was almost bizarre how little they even tried to attack the middle of the field. And and even to the point where in those high leverage downs, they're doing half field rollouts, right? And which they hadn't, we hadn't really done before that. And we haven't done since that, uh, since that game to that much. So um, I I feel like that's a huge opportunity for Oregon to, to, to tackle this game, particularly with Washington safeties. Like you said, two or three other safeties are either out or, or limited in this game. And, I just think you have to. And they have, have one corner that's functional. Like, yeah. Muhammad is the, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a really good player. Uh, but he's not, he's not, they don't have anybody else that's functional. Like, is it Eliza Jackson on the other side? Um, is a total liability. So, the, to me, this match, like, if you're looking for matchups that are intriguing from a, like, player on player standpoint uh trice definitely got the better of connerly in the first matchup it, it, it's a tough matchup for connerly i mean connerly is a 19 year old uh redshirt freshman 
there's still a lot of room left in Connolly's frame to get bigger and stronger. And so going up against somebody who's certainly an elder statesman, but also a, a really naturally powerful guy uh, in Braylon Trice was a tough matchup for him last game. And so how does he perform um, there this game? Uh, Latui Gasanoa didn't play in the last game. I, I'm not sure that it's going to make a huge difference having him back, but uh, notable on the interior of the, of the Washington defensive line since he's, probably the only plus player that they have in that group. Um, th- this to me is, is, a, is a landslide for the Oregon offense where things get more dicey uh, and where Washington is going to have to win this game uh, if they're going to do it or if they're going to cover is going to be on the, on the offensive side of the ball for them where Michael Penix is going to either have to get healthy, get over the flu, whatever the heck is going on with him. He's going to need to get over it and play his best game in about two months um, because it's a hundred percent on his shoulders, whether or not they remain competitive in, in this game. And he's got the weapons. They have the battery of players to throw the ball to, whether it's Romo Dunze, who after seeing the finalists, I think he'll probably finish second for the Blitnikoff behind Malik neighbors. I think that's 100% deserved. I think he's been unbelievable this season. Uh, yes. Easily the most valuable player for Washington. Uh, McMillan coming back, looking healthier week by week. Um, and then and, and Jalen Polk on the outside, and then Jack Westover in the tight ends. Um, specifically with Dylan Johnson, as you mentioned earlier, looking to be a guy that's probably at best 70% right now, 75%. Um, and so with his health in question and the limited depth behind him in that running back room, this is really going to be a game that gets put on the shoulders of Michael Penix in that receiver room. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have attempted to run a lot more over the second half of the season as well, and I I think there's a number of reasons behind that. They've really had a lot of success, obviously, in the USC game. Beyond that, I mean, it's more of a we're going to (laughs) run – we're going to run enough to to keep you honest. Um, And, you know, they they haven't been – a bad running team. I think they're averaging, you know, four and a half to, you know, five in, mo- in most of their games over the second half of the season. And Dylan Johnson's numbers over the second half have certainly been much better than the first. Again, the vast majority, I think over a third of his rushing yards on the season came in one game against USC, but they have been a little more effective at it. And, and they've actually been a little more dedicated to running the ball, uh, at least, you know, competitively in the second half of the season, they had some they had some success running in that first game against Oregon, particularly in the first half. Um, so, but Oregon has also been much better against the run in the second half of the season as well, particularly since just Justin Jacobs came back. And I'm not saying he's the entire reason for it. I think I think you know the defense has improved against the run it, through a number of factors throughout the season. But that's an interesting matchup, uh, I think, to follow whether it's Tybo Rogers or Dylan Johnson that's running the rock if. If Washington can have success on first down running the ball, that's gonna that's gonna really help Washington in this game. If Oregon can shut them down on first down like they did with Oregon State, like they did with Utah, then I think two things will happen. Obviously, it's gonna make the second and third downs for Penix, you know, a, a much more critical, right? You know, much more higher leverage, you know, situations going to be behind the chains. But secondly, I think ultimately they'll just abandon it, right? If if we're shutting them down on first down they'll just stop trying. And and that also, I think, plays into Oregon's hands. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. And um, where Washington traditionally wins in the run game is on the edges, uh, whether it's Troy Fautanu uh, or Roger Rosengarten, they, you typically have an advantage out there. And in this game, I do not think they have that advantage. Uh, Oregon's edge play has been phenomenal this year against the run specifically. I mean, Jordan Birch is certainly the best edge run defender in the Pac-12 he might be the best edge run defender in the country. Um, and he he was dominant last week. Uh, for those who follow me on Twitter, I posted several several All-22 clips of him um, playing just super dominant football against a really good player um, in, uh, in Fuaga from Oregon State. So I, I, I don't worry about Oregon's ability to stop the run in this game, specifically now that, that Hill and Bassa have really come a long way in the last six weeks. Uh, and then when you factor for the addition of Justin Jacobs, the health of the room overall, the depth, the amount of bodies that are playing, the quality of football that those freshmen are playing, I, I don't see that. That I don't see that as a, as a, as a winnable proposition with consistency for Washington. I I, I really think this yeah. game comes down to the passing game, and frankly, like this is the matchup, right? Because if yep. you're looking at Oregon's roster specifically right now with Jaleel Florence's health in question. Um, and a safety room that is easily the weakest position 
on the entire Oregon team. Like this is a strength on weakness matchup for the Washington offense. Um, and it's the, it's, it's what's won them the last two matchups. Uh, and so yep. can Kyrie Jackson and Dante Manning, potentially Jaleel Florence, Nico Reed, Triquiz Bridges, all those safeties, Evan Williams, uh, Steve Stevens, or in Taishim Johnson, can those guys make the plays necessary? Can they keep the ball in front of them? Can they, can they get off the field in third down situations or in fourth down situations? Can they not allow the huge play um, and make Washington earn it in the red zone? If, if that yeah. group can show up and play a competitive game where it's like fi- if it goes 50-50 both ways between Washington's pass game and Oregon's pass defense, um, then I think Oregon wins this game and covers. But if, if they go out and they allow Michael Penix to throw alley oops to Romo Dunze all day, and that and the other and the other receivers and and that and that passing game gets rolling, Oregon not only won't cover, but they could lose um, because elite passing games can erase a lot of advantages, especially when it's going up against your biggest weakness. So uh, this is the matchup to me that I will be watching the closest. Uh, I will also be watching. Oregon's pass rush against the Washington offensive line. I think I think our pass rush has improved substantially over the second half of the season, um, and we'll see how that uh, that the interior specifically of that Washington offensive line holds up against it. Yeah, uh, three things. Three things there. So, I mean, first of all, um, Jalen Polk hasn't caught a pass in the last two games for Washington. He's been shut out against Oregon State and Washington State, uh, and it really feels like watching those last few games, like Washington's offense has almost devolved into just like, let's throw it, throw it up to Rome, throw a back shoulder, throw to Rome and let him make the play. I mean, that, it, it, that sounds like overly harsh and overly simplistic, but like at the times when Washington has needed to make a play or needed a, a they, they haven't even really had that many sustained drives in these last few games. It's just like, we need a score. <laughs> Let's throw it up to Rome, and and he makes a big play because Rome is an incredible talent, and and he makes those plays look easy. Um, so that's kind of interesting to watch. So can they get Jalen Polk back involved? Can you know with Jalen McMillan coming back now? Um, you know he's, he didn't play much in the first game, and he he's missed most of the season, but he's he came back the last I think week or week and a half. What's his, what's his impact playing out of the slot, right? Because that's an area where I think there is a matchup advantage. Uh, you know, for Washington with, with McMillan, if he's truly back to form. Um, and then the, the, the counter chess move I'm looking for there or looking at there is do they, do they line up Steve Stevens or Tashim Johnson over a McMillan or over a slot player, or do they bring in a third corner? Do they bring in Nico Reed who's played a ton in the slot this year? Do they move Tashim, take Stevens out of the game, move Tashim back to safety and play Nico Reed in the inside corner is that a better matchup? Is that a strategy they'll employ? Is that something that maybe they will move to in the game or start within the game and move away from if it's not effective? I'm interested to see if Oregon tries other things other than lining up their base five and having Taishim and Steve cover cover slot players because those are matchups that do worry me in this game on both well, sides. So second – go ahead, go ahead. And this will be interesting. Sorry for the cough. I'm trying to mute myself when I cough. But uh, <laughs> this will be an interesting – also chess match between DeBoer and Grubb and Lanning, Tosh, and Hampton because uh, going back to 2021 um, when when Georgia lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game, um, I know there was several clinics and then some interviews with Lanning following that game talking about some of the mistakes they made, some of the mis- some of the uh, misestimations they made going against Bryce Young. Now, Bryce Young in that game was absurd, like probably the best college quarterback performance in in recent memory. Um, And then what they did differently in the SEC championship game, what will be the adjustment? What, like what has been put on film by Arizona state, Stanford, uh, Washington state, some of these other teams that have had a lot of success slowing down this Washington offense over the last six weeks that, that the staff has picked up and and, uh, added into what Oregon is going to be doing on Friday defensively, because I, I, I love the brain trust for Oregon. Um, and I fully expect there to be some adjustments and wrinkles added defensively specifically for this game. And with, with, with Michael Penix, I think that needs to be stated as well as he's been kind of bailing on clean pockets here. And I'm and not in the sense that he's really running out of clean pockets. He's just throwing the ball away. He's throwing in the dirt. He's protecting himself. And, if he's unhealthy and he's protecting himself and he's making those types of decisions, 
I think that you have to heat him up because I don't think he's playing yeah. as well against pressure these last six weeks that he I, was early I, in the season when he's healthy. That that was my second point that I wanted to get to is that I think what I've seen watching those teams that have had success and watching the way he's he's played over the last half of the season is he's being forced or or believes he's being forced to throw early, right? He's off his timing. His internal clock is like he's throwing balls early. And when he throws early, he throws inaccurate, right? He's throwing them in the dirt. He's throwing them out of bounds. He's throwing them wide. Like you just see it time and time and time again in these last six games, even taking out the, the Oregon State one, right, with the rain. Like you saw it last week constantly where he's he's throwing early. And so I think what if I'm Oregon, and, and this is where I do want to see some adjustments, I hope, because if I'm Oregon, at least early in the game, like I'm gonna I want to dedicate maybe more bodies and just like let's get to him early. Let's make him think about this thing. Like he's clearly thought about it over the last few games and these teams that have gotten to him because it seems to be that that has lingered throughout the game, right? So then to your point, even when you get to a point in the game where you don't necessarily have the pressure, he, he seemed to have felt that it was coming anyway, right? And, and it's thrown off that timing. So I really think the key to this game, and you look at his splits when he's under pressure versus not under pressure, it's a significant drop-off when he's under pressure. So it doesn't mean you have to blitz every time. It doesn't mean you you know, you know have to jailhouse, you know, bring the whole thing. But I think if you're Oregon, you've got to figure out a way to get to him early in this game, get some hits on him, um, make him think about the pressure, uh, and then have that carry over for the rest of the game. And then obviously you situationally dial it up, you know, dial up your Sims, dial up your blitzes, dial up your, your exotics, you know, situationally, but you get it. You have to get him thinking about it early. You can't let him go through the whole, I think the last game, he kind of went through the whole first half just in a groove, right? Just clicking, just clicking. And I think in this game, you got to throw him off that timing early and have it then impact the entire game versus just the second half, which I, th- I think they got to him a little bit in the second half. But No, 100%. Uh, and yeah. I think that Oregon has so many different tools to use to get there, both from a personnel and scheme standpoint. Like, like you said, we don't need to bring the house every time, but bringing some six-man pressures, running some five-man pressures, running some sim, some simulated pressures, also just rushing four. Like I, I think Oregon should be able to get home rushing four or at least create pressure and constrict the pocket. But when we do dial it up, when we do bring a six a six-man pressure, we first of all we need to get home. Uh, but our guys need to be able to stick in coverage for two to three seconds to give it time. Um, yeah, and I think that. If, if, if Oregon can find success early on with their pressure schemes, what it'll do is it'll create a hesitation for, for Penix. It'll create, um, it'll create doubt because they'll be able to mix coverages and, and disguise things and start to start to play more games defensively. Whereas if we bring pressure and he just beats it a couple times in a row, it kind of eliminates it from, from being usable. Uh, in the same way that Bo eliminated Oregon State's pressure package last week. So, uh, it, to me, this is the game. Oregon's going to be able to score. Uh, I think Oregon scores in the 40s in this game. If Oregon can hold Washington in the 20s, um, I think they cover. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that holding Washington tw- to, to less than 30 points uh, is, out of the, is out of the equation, but it's really going to come down to the front, creating pressure and impacting Penix. Yeah, I mean uh... – They've they've been thirty five or under for their three straight games, and and then you know I add the Arizona State game in that was fifteen, so it's certainly not not impossible to hold in two you know twenty four and twenty two in the last two games. So I, I totally agree with you, and I, I look at the flow of this game, and I think the the other thing you go back to that first game, right? Washington struck first. Washington had a lead. You know they jumped out, they got an early lead. They were they were playing from ahead, and I think where you've seen Washington stress a bit over these last few games is when they're playing from behind right now they've always managed to come back and win them but it's they're not the same they're not the same team it feels like they're they press more on offense when it's a tight game or they're playing from behind versus if they're playing from ahead they're a little looser which caught which allows them you know to actually increase the lead or score more more easily and so I think a key to this, I, I see this game playing out one of two ways could be, and I think I think the which way it plays out depends on how the game starts. So I, I feel like this is either a close game that goes down to the last couple possessions, or or it's a game that Oregon wins and covers. And I think that depends on the start. If Oregon jumps out to a lead and is playing from ahead, you know, and that could be like, you know, we're up seven, we're tied. We're up seven, we're tied. We're you know, it could, could be that kind of lead. Right. Then I think that's a game that eventually 
Oregon will extend that lead into the double digits and win uh, and win handily and cover. Or if it's a game where Washington kind of jumps out ahead and you're and they're playing seven ahead, ten ahead, like they did the last game, then I think it's a game that goes the distance and you know anyone can win at the end. Yeah, I agree. Um, you want to get the predictions on this game? Sure. Uh, so I, I do believe Oregon will win this game for all the reasons we've talked about. I think all, all of that trajectory over the last six weeks for both teams is just is just heading. Everything's pointing toward Oregon. I think the confidence level that Oregon's playing with, I think the know, revenge factor is probably a stupid way to put it, but you know what I mean, right? Like the that incentive to, to get back and, and the way this team has is dialed in and has been dialed in to achieve their goals. I think all, I think everything in that favors Oregon. I think, you know, Washington is, I, you know, their fan base, what you've seen along and again, their team's not their fan base, but I've seen a lot of this on social media all week is why should we have to beat them twice? It's not fair. Well, even if we lose 12 and 0 is an incredible accomplishment, right? It's, it, there's so much fear, doubt, pearl, pearl like, clutching, like, yeah, yeah, like uh, it's almost like consolation, right? Like, well, they're almost conceding the loss, and, and and again, this is the fans, it's not the team. I'm sure the team doesn't think that way, but I do think that that there's there has to be some doubt in Washington's mind right now with just the way they've played, you know, the last month. Well, and I'm sure that they're not the been beaten team. into them over the last six weeks, right? Like, I don't care how confident you are in your in your own ability, like getting taken to the wire by so many bad teams in a row will, will weigh on you. And I think that on the other, on the other side of that, Oregon is playing with immense confidence right now. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. A, a tremendous amount of confidence. So for that reason, I picked the ducks and I do think the ducks are going to cover. I, I think that it is going to flow that way. I think Oregon is going to jump out early. Other than, you know, I think that's going to cause Washington to press. I think Oregon's going to be able to capitalize on that and extend the lead out. I, I think Oregon wins this one by around two touchdowns. Um, but I, I kind of think it's a game that that is in control in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, outcome never, you know, past the third quarter, the outcome's probably not in doubt, but it's not like we're putting in the backups either. So I, I kind of think Oregon wins maybe like 38-27, 42-31, something, something like that, you know, at, at maybe an 11 to 14 point margin, 42-28, somewhere in that range. That's kind of my prediction here. Yep, I agree. I, I, I think Oregon wins. I think Oregon covers. Um, I think Oregon scores over 40. I think Washington scores 30 or less. So um, whatever that number ends up looking like, I, I, I see that pathway. Um, it's kind of interesting because when you look at Vegas, they have the over-under at 65 right now with Oregon as a 10-point favorite. So like, w- what they're really saying is they see this as like a 38, to 28 game eight kind of game yeah yeah so um and that sounds about right to me again the washington offense is not like the previewing this washington offense watching tape on this offense it is not the same unit that we were previewing and talk watching tape on uh six weeks ago seven weeks ago um so yeah. i'm i'm, I'm uh, excited to see how this plays out um i my prediction is that oregon wins a pac-12 title gets gets a three seed in the playoff gets to go play Michigan in a Rose Bowl and wins a Heisman Trophy um, here in the in the next month. So uh, I'm yeah. really, really excited. I think this could be one of the most exciting months of, of Oregon football that we've ever experienced, especially with signing day approaching um, and, and another really strong close on, uh, on the on the books. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I First of all, I think regardless of who wins this game, the winner is getting the three seed and playing Michigan in the or, or the the winner will play Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Like, I think that's a mortal lock. They will. The committee will figure out a way to put the the Pac ten, the Pac twelve, and the Big Ten winner in the Rose Bowl together. Right? Uh, but I do think it'll be Oregon, Michigan two uh, versus the, three in the Rose Oregon Bowl. versus Michigan for the twenty twenty three Big Ten championship game would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, and that would be great. Um, so let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Alabama, Georgia. I think that's the, obviously the other big game here. Um, Georgia's a five and a half point favorite in Atlanta in this one. If Georgia wins, the, the the kind of the the playoff scenarios get fairly easy. It's Georgia and Michigan. I'm just going to assume Michigan wins. Georgia, Michigan, the winner of the Pac-12 title game wins, and then it's really down to Texas versus Florida State for that last spot. 
you, you got to think Florida State probably gets in if they win because they're thirteen and zero. And honestly, though, I think the entire country outside of uh, Tallahassee is probably rooting for Louisville to win because, like, is there a better playoff than Georgia versus Texas and Michigan versus Oregon? Like, would that be the the probably the best Final Four we've ever had in the four team era? Be up there. Um, I would I would argue that it's the best the best field that we've had. Um, and I think that we, those would be the most competitive semifinals all the way around. I, I actually think like it's, I feel bad for Texas fans because I think Texas oh, is inevitably going to get left out in this situation. Uh, if Florida state doesn't lose. And I think that Texas might be one of the tougher matchups for a team like Georgia, um, that exists in this year's college football season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to follow and see how it all ends up playing out. Um, I'm hoping the football gods bless us uh, and, and, and Florida State loses so that we can get the four best in. Yeah, I I, I think so too. Let's, let's and I about, mean let's that if Oregon this. wins or loses, right? Like uh, four best yeah. would be Pac-12 champ, Big 12 champ, SEC champ, and Big 10 champ. Well, and it also gives you that, like, I, I do think with, with Oregon and Texas, it would be the best – the best matchups that we've probably ever had, but it also gives you like representation across the land, right? You've got four conference champions representing, you know, the North, South, East and West, right? It's, it's covering the whole gamut. And there's kind of some poetry in that versus even if maybe some of the other matchups in the past where you had a Clemson, a Georgia and Alabama and Ohio state, and maybe that's a better, better overall field, but it's also, you know, a bit, you know, you got, you got repeat matchups. You got a little bit like, duplicativeness uh, among the the geography right i mean there's just some kind of coolness around having a texas team in there and a west coast team in there and you know but yeah anyway so alabama georgia what do you think about this game um i i think georgia is the better football team uh and i think that they win ultimately but this is going to be a tough matchup for for georgia because i think um Alabama probably has the best pass rush in college football this year in terms of like an, uh, in terms of an edge rush combo uh, of Braswell and Turner. Um, and I think that Georgia is going to struggle to stop the Alabama run. Um, and so it's going to be kind of a styles makes fights game. I think that matchup wise, I don't, I don't think Alabama is one of the four best teams in the country this year. Uh, but I think from a matchup standpoint, they might be one of the three best teams um, with odds to beat Georgia, if that makes any sense. Totally makes um, sense. So Jalen Milrow in that run game, I think, is going to be really the catalyst. Like that's going to dictate whether or not Georgia or Alabama can hang in this game because Carson Beck and that Georgia passing attack have been playing really, really high quality football here. Um, on the back half of the season, I think Carson Beck um, – if, with a huge game here, might steal Michael Penix's spot in Vegas, or, or sorry, I keep saying Vegas, in New York. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I have uh, bet on Georgia to cover this. I, have, I think Georgia wins this game, um, but I absolutely see a path to victory for Alabama because Alabama is one of the three most talented teams in the country. So that brings up the inevitable question. So you're going with Georgia to cover. Yeah, I'm going with Georgia to cover because I, 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 I'm always going to take a team with a passing game um, and yep. an elite offense over a team without one. I'm going to take Alabama. I, I think Georgia probably wins, but I, I think it's a field goal game. So I'm going to take Alabama and the points. And the interesting thing, though, is if Alabama does win, that does bring up all the all the chaos scenarios in the playoff starts, right? Because then, okay, does – if Alabama gets in, does that mean you also have to put Texas in? Well, then if, if Texas gets in, does that mean Oregon gets kicked out? Like those are all the scenarios, and we don't have to go into what we think will happen because we could be here for another hour. But those are the scenarios that everybody nationally is talking about. You know what would happen in that scenario? Does Georgia still get in if they lose? That's the other thing that a lot of people are talking about. You know, um, the, the so one it's thing that I hate about all this is Alabama winning should have absolutely no bearing on on Texas versus Oregon. Yes. Agreed. That it's 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 ludicrous. Like if if the committee thinks Texas is two spots worse than Oregon now and Oregon's going to play the number 3 team and Texas is going to play the number 18 team like what would 
why would all of a sudden Texas vault ahead of Oregon just because Bama beat Georgia? Like that makes like that Texas is already getting credit for beating Bama. They've they beat them in week two, and every single playoff ranking since that since they started has had Oregon ahead of Texas, even though Texas in the eyes of the committee already has credit for the Bama win. Like what's going to change? I don't understand that narrative at all other than just this, like, well, we can't, if we put in Bama, we have to put in Texas cause they beat Bama and it would, you know, it, the world, the world would scream if we didn't. Well, we didn't. So you don't actually think Texas is better than Oregon, but now you're going to be beholden to these unwritten rules, which actually aren't rules, by the way, like head to head is not, it is not like hard and fast in the playoff committee protocol. It's a, if the teams are the same, use head to head. So it's weird. And I hope that situation doesn't happen because I think all the ways someone could get screwed in that situation. And in fact, I'll just go there. Like, look, there's, there's Georgia shouldn't get in, in that scenario. I don't care. It's Georgia. I understand they've won 30 straight games or the two time defending national champs. But if they lose to Bama in the SEC title game and you've got four conference champions, five potentially five conference champions who all have zero or one losses, I don't think Georgia should even be considered. Like you didn't win your conference. And your best win is what, Tennessee? That's what I was gonna say. Like, especially when like they're leaving Tennessee in the in the twenties just to prop up prop up some resume. Like Tennessee's a bad football team. So, I don't know. Yeah. I'm taking Georgia, anyway, though. I, I'll take Bama. All right. Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas is a 15.5-point favorite in this one. Do you think they roll, or do you think Oklahoma State can keep it interesting? I think Oklahoma State covers, but I think Texas still wins. Makes sense. Um, it, it's interesting to me, te- you know, because Texas fans are unhappy about being behind Oregon and Ohio State, for that matter. I, yeah. The reality is, is like they played with their food a lot this season, uh, you know, and, and pretty recently. I mean, they, they got taken to the wire by Iowa State. They they beat, you know, a bad TCU team by three. They went to overtime with one of the Kansas teams. I, like, you know, I, I think you you have to look at that if you're a Texas fan and be like, yeah, we, we haven't been a dominant football team. And, yeah, we're we've only have the one blemish, but we have a lot of close calls. And Oregon's, you know, <laughs> drug everyone through the through the mud and back again on their schedule. So uh, Texas did did roll up on Tech fifty seven seven. So I think they're seeing some style point needed. I think because of that, I think they're going to come out and they're, I think they're going to blow Oklahoma State off the field because they're going to know that they need to have that kind of showing to give themselves a chance. So I'm going to take Texas to cover. Yeah. I, uh, I think Texas is the substantially better football team, but I also am not going to bet against over a two-point spread against Mike Gundy um, in the yeah, big two, spot. Yeah, so. over two touchdowns. I got you. All right, let's move over to the Big Ten. Uh, I don't think the question is, does does Michigan win? Uh, Michigan is a 21.5-point favorite in our line, 35.5 over-under. Um, Can I we think bet the over-under and up the spread? <laughs> yeah, I'll take the under. Same. Yeah, um, but I think the question in this one is: Does Michigan can Michigan cover that big of a line? I mean, they certainly can. Um, the question is really: Does Iowa score? <laughs> like, I think they're over under the team total over under on Iowa is six, and the first half is is zero point five. If they score a single point in the first half, you hit the the over hits. <laughs> yeah, it's absurd. Like this is why I'm taking under half a point. By the way, like. <laughs> on principle i might too but this is exactly why all these conferences are ditching divisions like this is a this is nobody wants to watch this crap uh, you know i'm sorry nobody wants to watch a, a propped up phony baloney 10 and 2 team that's not a 10 and 2 team get steamrolled in a game that's completely boring and uninteresting uh by a playoff contender like wouldn't this game be so much better if it was michigan ohio state or michigan penn state or whoever that would win the other spot i and I'm so glad next year when we have these games, they're going to be good on good in all conferences. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so Michigan, oh, we're, we're yeah, taking no. the over-under. Okay, we both took the under. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll also take Michigan to cover. This isn't going to be a close game. I agree. I, I think 
I think they'll cover easily because I don't think Iowa State's going to score more than a touchdown, and I think Michigan will find Iowa State's not playing in the game. So, sorry, Iowa. (laughs) Hawkeyes, Cyclones, yellow teams from the corn. I don't know. They're all the same. Mitt, love you, man. Uh, Louisville, FSU, two and a half point uh, favorite in favor of the Seminoles in this one. Do you think they get it done, roll to 13-0, and 0, or do you think Louisville ends the Florida State dream and and gives us a better playoff? I'm betting with my heart on this one. I'm going to take Louisville because I want them to win outright um, so that we don't have to have this stupid conversation about should Florida State be in the playoff. Um, and with that in mind, like I also think that um, people are writing off Louisville because their performance against Kentucky uh, I know it's a rivalry game, but this is the big one for Louisville. Like they have an opportunity. Jeff Brom has an opportunity to win the ACC title in his first season as the Louisville head coach. So that's a big one. Yeah, I don't think the Florida State backup quarterback was it. What's his name? Rotemeyer. Yeah, I think I think Rotomeyer. that's right. Rototiller. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ball QB. I don't know. All right. I can't remember his name, but I didn't think he was very impressive last week. And Florida does not. Florida didn't have a great pass rush. I, I think Louisville is gonna. Sorry, Louisville. I think Louisville is gonna is gonna really rattle him into some mistakes in this game. And I think because of that, Louisville will win the game outright. And um, I think Texas and Oregon and, and what other fans or you know whatever other teams uh, are hoping for a playoff spot will all be thankful of that and and we'll get the playoff. I think we all deserve. Yeah, I agree. That's all I got, QB. You got anything else you want to talk about? Not really. I think that uh, we could talk about like the Mountain West title game, but I know you're not going to have anything to add. And quite frankly, I don't care either. So, um, well, let's let's look at it this way. What team do you think gets the the Group of Five spot in the near six? So right now, Tulane is in the pole position. They're hosting SMU in the AAC. I do know some of the stuff, Mitt. And QB AAC title game Tulane Tulane and SMU Tulane if wins will certainly get the a repeat trip to the New York Six Bowl. Well, the SMU is if SMU let wins, you. let me stop you right now because SMU is not okay. winning with a backup quarterback. <laughs> okay, Pres- Preston Stone's out. That's it. We move. We move. Okay, it, but were were the unthinkable to happen? Liberty is sitting there with a chance to slide into that spot ahead of SMU, but their the thing is, is, so is that and like unless there's mass mass opt outs, whoever they get matched up with in that bowl game is going to destroy them. Well, that's what people said because about USC last year, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Some of us picked Tulane in that game, um, because there's actually a lot of good football teams in the New Year's Six this year. Like, not just in the playoff. Um, like, if Texas gets left out, like, do you want to play Texas in a year six bowl? I don't. No. Um, Washington. Alabama, you want, you want to play Alabama in a New Year's six bowl? Like, I, I don't know. Like, Washington. Yeah, well, and then, yeah, Oregon, if they get left out, Texas, if they get, like, I, I do think that someone asked me this the other day. Even like, Florida oh, State. You know, yeah, even Florida State. Someone asked the other day, like, if they thought, if I thought Bo Nix would play in a New York six bowl. And I like there's no question he would play. Like he played he played in the holiday bowl last year when he should have been or could have could have been, not should have been, when he could have easily decided to rehab his injury. But that's that's not Bo Nix. Bo Nix isn't gonna sit out of this game. No, that guy's a ball player. He'll, he's gonna finish yeah. it out. Yeah. Um and it doesn't matter because he's gonna be playing in a playoff. Right. Exactly. And he's definitely. And I can't. That. This, this is such an important game. Like, I don't want to put. I, I really am not that guy that likes to put such a massive importance on one game. But when you think about what's on the line here, from like a momentum standpoint, as a fan, from a shit talking standpoint, like the ammunition that this game will allow me going into the off season on Twitter, is it, it's enough to wipe out whole armies. Um. And, and the recruiting momentum, uh, and then, again, like your second Heisman Trophy, that's yeah. uh, that's big boy stuff right there, and an opportunity to go compete for a national title, which is ultimately what this program is about. And so um, I, I'm proud of this team. I'm pr- I, I'm so proud that Dan Lanning is our coach, um, that Bo Nix is our quarterback, and I'm ready to see what they can get done in Vegas on Friday. 
Yeah, me too. I can't wait to, to hop on a plane and get down there and experience that game. And, and boy, what a, you know, a, after they win, <laughs> so you're not going to be hard to find a party. No, no, I don't not think you're going to have to look too hard. <laughs> no, except I do have to get on a plane very early the next morning. So I, I, I might, I might just go all night. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. So I'm, I'm kind of old for that these days. So QB, I don't know if I got the stamina to, to party all night anymore. Yeah, I won't. I'll be in bed by like, what time's the game? It's a six local down here. So I'll be in bed by 10. <laughs> all right. Well, then we got a great day of football on Saturday and then Sunday. Of course, we'll have all the reveals. We'll have the playoff reveals, the bowl matchups, all that stuff will happen. QB and I will be back. We will record Sunday night. I'll try to get that episode out Sunday night as well. Um, just so that we can get it out there in everyone's hands as quickly as possible. Cause I know it'll be, it'll be all the, the laking late breaking information. Uh, we won't go too deep on playoff matchups, but we might spend five or 10 minutes, you know, breaking down or bowl matchups, breaking down the Oregon's opponent and, you know, at a very, very high level there. So definitely want to tune in on Sunday. We'll talk about all that great stuff. Uh, obviously enjoy the game and, you know, Big big game, like you said, for the Ducks. And I, I think they got the ammunition. I think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to avenge the earlier loss. And uh, their, their season goals will continue to roll forward. All right, QB, thank you so much once again. Follow him at QB11SD on Twitter or X, as the kids are calling it. You could follow me at DouglasTS. Please follow the show at QB11Show. Again, thank you all for the support, the listenership. It's insane. When I see all these minutes that people spend listening to me and my voice and QB and it's uh, we just can't appreciate you all enough. See you on Sunday. Go Ducks.